0: Please dive in. Hey there and welcome to another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. This is Traver Boehm, your host. And what you're listening to today is a live recording on a Zoom call with one of my great friends, Connor Beaton. We had about 65 people show up to this call because Connor was going to talk about relationships. Connor and I have led workshops all over the world. We've hung out together for hours. We've been stuck on a ferry once for four hours. He's a fascinating human. He's actually, in my mind, a genius, and is gonna talk about some things that will blow you wide open. He dives into the shadow, one of his favorite topics into how to manage conflict in your relationship, and what to do if you're separated from your partner at this point. This one's a doozy. Get a pen and paper and get ready. Enjoy. Connor Beaton. We are live. Welcome, everybody, to Uncivilized Unplugged. this is your first time, what a treat. You are on the number one live podcast in the world, as voted for by my friend Sam, who's on this call. He's an official in this area. Thank you. Uh, we're all, we're here on Zoom, live audience, and you get to be a part of it. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Trevor Bohm, founder of the Uncivilized Movement, Uncivilized Nation, and the author of the books Today I Rise and Man Uncivilized. And we're going to give a quick shout out to our sponsor because I think the CEO is on this call. Yes, indeed, Joe Sheehy, you want to wave to everybody? So this this is all sponsored by a company called Cured Nutrition, and I'm going to do my best not to screw this up because he is listening. These guys make the best CBD products in the world. I was using them before they sponsored me. I know the CEO before they sponsored me. It's a great company. Now, why promote a company that does CBD? Because two or three weeks ago, they had a meeting and said, here's the deal. We're going to have to let a bunch of you go. We're not, uh, you know, the internet just took a shit and the world kind of went crazy. And the group of employees got together and said, you know what? Let's not do that. We'll all take a pay cut. And keep everybody in house. So that's the kind of company they run. That's why I sponsor, that's why I let them sponsor me and and promote them myself. So if you guys want, please go to curednutrition.com forward slash uncivilized. You get a discount if you use the code uncivilized. All right, let's rock and roll. So, again, those of you new to Unplugged, the frame of this, how I want it to feel, is that they're just two people hanging out on a couch, shooting the shit talking about potentially life-changing things. And I have sat on couches with tonight's guest and shot the shit. We've sat in cars, we've sat on boats, uh, we've sat in houses, we've sat on uh, air mattresses on the floor and shot the shit about a lot of stuff. But mostly we talk about men because he's an expert at masculinity issues, men's issues, relationship issues, and now even more so, the shadow. And the shadow around masculinity, especially. So, please give a very quiet but profound welcome to my very good friend and brother, Connor Beaton. Are you, are you muted? Did I mute you? Hold on. There. Did that unmute you? There. Oh, no.
1: Yeah. There we go. There we go.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Connor Beaton. We'll have that part <laughs> of it out so then, so we stay the number one podcast in the world.
1: I, I like I like uh, getting cloud force so much that I had to have it happen twice. You know, it's just like a <laughs> little bit of extra affirmation, so I'm good to go. You know, amazing.
0: Brother, I could spend an hour giving your highlights, but how about uh, answering this? One of my favorite questions is, "What are you building?"
1: Mm. Yeah, so I guess the simplest way to say is, I'm I'm building an organization for men's health and wellness. So the Man Talks has been around for several years now, and you know we started off doing events, but that has quickly traversed into other areas, cast content creation teaching people how to do great relationships, teaching people how to find a deeper sense of purpose. So Mantox does a bunch of things between, you know, podcasts and weekends and coaching and all that kind of good stuff. Um, But at the core of it, it is, it is improving our ability to cultivate a deeper sense of self-leadership. That's really at the core of everything that I do is, is how do we lead ourselves more effectively?
0: I love it. And you and I had like an hour conversation, I think the other day, just on leadership, given what's going on in the world right now. Yeah. So we can shift to that real quick, just to stay uh, kind of local with what's happening. What are you most hopeful about with the virus situation? And what are you most scared about or most apprehensive about with this? Mm,
1: It's a good question. I think I'm most hopeful in our ability to like Mm -hmm. wake up a little bit to the fact that we're collectively connected. You know, what I've noticed most right now during the circumstances, like this is a a really interesting time in the sense that humanity collectively is experiencing largely the same thing. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't happen very often, if ever. So I'm hopeful for the, I'm hopeful for what will come out of this I think you know during very dark times usually that's that births out some incredible uh, incredible projects and resources and ideas and collaboration and so I think from that aspect there is an immense amount of possibility that is present especially in these trying times right when you look at when some of, the, some of the Fortune 500 companies have been built, it's almost always in recessions, right? It's almost always in these moments where it seems like things can't get any worse or we can't find a way out. And so that's, that's what I'm hopeful for. What I'm the most concerned about is historically, and this doesn't really have much to do, but it might have everything to do with what we're talking about today. Historically, it's in these moments of chaos, that, the like collective chaos, that governments people in power tend to uh, try and use that chaos to accumulate more power more control mm-hmm. and so you know it's it's one of those things where people generally uh, lose focus on what's happening externally when chaos is happening, because they're so, we, we get so focused in on how do I just get through this? How do I survive? Mm. And you know, our central nervous system kicks in and we go into fight flight or freeze and we're just doing whatever we can to try and survive. And so I'm, I'm the most concerned about people's civil liberties being taken away, people's privacy being taken away. And, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, if you watch some of the pieces that are sort of happening in different governments around the world, you'll actually see legislation trying to be passed to take away some of those civil liberties and to take away some of that privacy. So I think now more than ever, we actually need to be diligent in in Mm. paying attention to what, what our local governments are doing and what our federal governments are doing, wherever you are in the world, because they don't give them back right? They Mm. generally use these chaotic times to take civil liberties away and then don't give them back. (laughs) So I guess, I guess that's a very like high level thing, but I think it's a very important thing.
0: Would you say, and I agree with you, I definitely agree with you. Would you say that that's a shadow aspect of a government as a entity or as governments as an entity before we transition into shadow? I know we individuals, have it, but would you say collective groups like that can have it as well? And is this that?
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, governments, religions, they can all have their own shadow, right? A lot of the external structures and systems that we see within our society are manifestations of our internal projections, right? Like we, we build outside what we experience inside. And that happens. That's true in our relationships, in our businesses. It's true in many aspects of our lives. And governments and religions aren't aren't um, exempt from that. So mm-hmm. I think from from a governmental standpoint, absolutely, there's there's a. A draw towards power, right? The shadow is always wanting more. It's always craving more power. It's always wanting more control, right? And so when you look at the systems that are in place, especially from a governing body, one of the biggest challenges that a lot of governments get into is that they are trying to find ways of accumulating and acquiring more control over the people and it's usually couched as a as a good thing right yeah. it's like if you hand over these civil liberties this bricks can help you out, but it actually takes away freedoms and rights and liberties so yeah it's definitely a part of this sort of collective shadow of the government
0: when did you start getting interested in the shadow as an as an idea or a concept and actually before you before you dive into that can you for people who don't know what that is give a quick explanation in your view of what it is?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And I'm, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I just want to like preface that because I feel like any time that we, you venture into this, this, uh, this stratosphere, it's so easy to be like, well, that sounds like conspiracy theory talk. And it's not, it's just historical data, right? You can look at the historical data of governments and the, and the trajectory of when they have acquired more power and more ability to pass legislation without people's consent, and mm-hmm. it always happens always happens in moments of chaos. So the the shadow is, from from a psychological standpoint, the shadow is the part of our psyche that we hide all of the things about ourselves that we want to reject, that we want to avoid, that we don't like about ourselves, Uh, It is the place where we put our pain, our hurt, our insecurities. Generally, it's just this, I call it the hurt locker, right? It's like, it's the place where we put all the parts of ourselves that we don't want the world to see. Mm -hmm. And it's formed in these moments of it collectively throughout our life. It's formed in these moments where, you know, people pick on us or we get bullied or we want love, but we get rejection. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, maybe we grew up in a household where there was abuse or a lot of anger. And so it can it can be formed in those times. It can happen because we've been neglected in some way, shape, or form, or we failed. And so the shadow is is built in our darker moments. And the the interesting piece is that the shadow also fuels different players in our in our mind, right? Different players in our in our psychological game. So things like the inner critic that are constantly going and chirping away at us and telling that we're not good enough for the relationship or for the job or whatever we're trying to pursue in life, that inner critic is fueled by the shadow, right? And if you drill down on the inner critic, it has its own origin story, right? So for a lot of people, for example, a lot of the men that I've worked with that grew up in in abusive households, when we start to dig in and I say like, hey, tell me about what your inner critic is saying what does it sound like what what are the words that it uses what are the phrases that it uses um when does it show up and then how does that feel familiar and who does that feel familiar to usually our inner critic is traced back to someone who was very critical of us and so for a lot of men that experienced abuse like for from myself um, I grew up in a household where there was verbal and physical abuse. And so when I started to do this work, I discovered that my inner critic sounded exactly like my stepdad, like mm-hmm. exactly like him. The words that, that my inner critic would use, when it would show up, how it would show up, it was very much built out of that. Mm-hmm. So the reason why this is important, the concept of the shadow was, was designed by a psychologist by the name of Carl Jung. And he was kind of like the granddaddy of psychology. And he believed that we have you know, the conscious mind, the subconscious mind, and then the unconscious. And in the unconscious mind, there is both a personal unconscious, so that's like all of your collective experiences that you've gone through individually. And then there's the collective unconscious. And he believed that we actually have access to the collective unconscious, which is the total uh, conscious experience of everyone that's ever existed. And we won't go into that because it's a big it's a big rabbit hole, but within within the personal unconscious resides the shadow. And if we don't start to integrate, heal these parts of us and integrate them, they will naturally control us. So when you are sabotaging, it's the shadow. When you're not getting the results that you're wanting, it's generally because the shadow is creating resistance. When you're getting reactive and lashing out at your partner or losing your shit on somebody in, in business or a client or something like that, that's the shadow coming up. So it's an incredibly, incredibly important aspect. And Jung believed that in order for us as human beings to reach any sort of wholeness, any sensation of, of feeling whole and complete, we had to embody the monster, right? We actually had to face our inner demon and start to incorporate it into our identity rather than trying to reject it.
0: Any questions? <laughs> <laughs> Told you guys he was good. Uh, how, does, how do you... A dude who just like likes hockey and weightlifting, find the shadow and get into it. Like, what about it grabbed you? as like, and I know you're not American, like a a Canadian dude.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess the the short version of it is like I've always been fascinated with how we operate as human beings. Yeah, mostly from a selfish place. So I hit rock bottom in my late twenties. I. You know had been living this really what on the outside looked like a really great life. I had a great career, I had a great relationship. you know I had the the car and the motorcycle and was traveling the world and behind the scenes, I was just complete disaster um, complete disaster. There was lots of infidelity, I was lying, I was cheating, I was manipulating, I was using sex as validation mm-hmm. on a fairly regular basis, womanizing and you know it all came to a this a very sort of like cinematic Hollywood style moment where I got busted and it really like sent me into this spiral and rather than sort of owning my shit and telling people what was going on, I, I tried to do what I'd always done, which was hide it. Mm. And so I lived out of the back of my car for a few weeks. I put all my stuff into storage. I lived out of the back of my car and it ended up sending me on this path of trying to understand why I had done the things that I had done yeah right because I had found myself in such a dark place, and I had basically lived this dual life uh, one of which people knew and saw, and the other people had no idea and When I started to re- actually reconnect and own my own my part and I started to reconnect with some of the men in my life, I started to find that a lot of us actually were living this way, that a lot of the the men and women that I knew that were closest to me had this sort of like mask that they wore, and they presented the good parts of themselves, and they hid a lot of the important details. And it came to a head in a conversation with one of my best friends at the time that I'd gone to university with, where uh, I sat down with him and I just told him everything. I sort of, you know, emotionally and verbally puked on him and just said, like, here's all the stuff that I've been hiding. And here's all the ways in which I've been struggling. And he completely broke down. And he proceeded to tell me that he had tried to commit suicide a month and a half before. And I was not only heartbroken, but I was so shocked. You know, like here was somebody that I knew, so I knew everything about them, except for these, except for like the most important part. And I just started to see this over and over again in all my relationships and a lot of people's relationships where they just felt the need to like hide parts of themselves. And those hidden parts wanted to be revealed so fucking badly, so badly that they would destroy their life. Just so that that part could come out and be seen, just so that that part could be integrated. And so that put me on this path, and, and I was fortunate enough to have a mentor in my life who uh, had trained in Jungian psychology, who had actually uh, done some mentorship with Ra himself. My mentor has since passed away, he passed away quite a few years ago. Um, but I spent two and a half years learning Jungian psychology and archetypes and cognitive behavioral ther- therapy and positive psychology and like why we do the things that we do. And that, that was sort of the groundwork that sent me on this beautiful, wonderful journey that, that I am now on.
0: Amazing. And rumor has it you're going to have a book on this subject coming out at some point, huh?
1: Some yeah. Point soon. Yes. Yeah. Just emailed, just emailed the agent today to follow up.
0: Well, get me a copy. Is yeah. it, did, and you and I talked a little while ago. You recently quit drinking, yeah?
1: I did, yeah. So, right Can after you talk school.
0: about that decision and, and sort of what's come of it?
1: Yeah. So I stopped drinking actually about a year ago. That's, that's interesting. Um, right after. So my wife and I got married April 6th last year. And um, she's a marriage and family therapist. She's incredible. But I was kind of feeling it leading up to the wedding where I was like, I don't think I really want to drink anymore. I don't feel like this serves a purpose you know, full transparency, there's, there's people that are alcoholics in my family, and I've just watched them struggle so much. And after having worked with so many people and seeing the ever-present impact that alcoholism just has on so many families, I just didn't want to engage with it anymore. And I just didn't want it to be a part of my life. It has no place in my life anymore. And so, you know, I had a couple of drinks over the course of, of that weekend, and then afterwards... Just sort of let it go, and I I didn't want to continue drinking mostly because for a few reasons. One, I also wanted to see what I was capable of. You know, I wanted to see like, can I achieve more without this substance, without this crutch in my life? Mm-hmm. And honestly, like, I've never felt better. Money has never felt better. My, felt better. Uh, my mind is clear. I don't have to worry about hangovers. I don't have to worry about how i 'm going to feel after having a few beers, and it is just this this freedom that i 've found you know I think that all, a lot of us have crutches that we 've relied on to escape processing things emotionally or dealing with the hard times in our life or the stress that comes along with you know running a business or having kids or whatever the case may be. And one of one of the things that my mentor said to me early on in life that's taken me longer to actually integrate is that we never get rid of our coping mechanisms; they just evolve to actually support us. Mm-hmm. And I realized that my drinking was a coping mechanism that didn't support me. Not that I have a not that I ever had a problem with it, right? It was something that I would have a you know a beer every once in a while when when I'd go out for dinner. Um, but I just I wondered who I would be and what I'd be capable of if that coping mechanism morphed into something that was more supportive rather than suppressive and repressive.
0: Wow. Beautifully stated. It's, it's such a touchy topic. Um, it's, I think it's in the, the collective shadow lives a lot of alcohol's results and, and um, negative effects. And yet it's something that we accept as a group. And I don't have an issue or a problem at all with people drinking. But I'm curious if given all of the facts of alcohol, how many people still would, you know, of given the amount of domestic violence, violence, assault, all DUI, all the things. And like you said, how powerful it is to simply make the decision to see what life's like without it, especially as someone who's in the collective right you yeah. have a business you have a wife you have friends you go to parties or you used to you used to go to events so you <laughs> all the things yeah it's it's a, it's a fascinating uh, experiment for lack of a better term to just walk away from it especially if you don't have to yeah right that yeah. was what i think was most interesting for me was like i don't have to do this
1: yeah exactly yeah yeah exactly i don't have to do this and what i what i started to notice after i let go of drinking is how many people think that they do right it's just it's a social agreement one of the things that i've been talking about with covid and and with the coronavirus is like the reason why people are so panicked is that we have these social agreements of just basic things right like when you go to the grocery store there's an unspoken social agreement that there's going to be toilet paper there and when that toilet paper isn't there something happens in our body something gets triggered in our body that says like oh shit am i not okay Because this social agreement isn't in place. And drinking is a social agreement that most people have just naturally bought into unless their religion or or faith has has imposed that on them. And so we need to challenge our own social agreements. What social agreements have you already bought into that that actually doesn't serve you, that doesn't doesn't align with the type of life, relationship, or business that you want to have? these drinking is one of the unconscious social agreements that most people just sort of like in alberta where i grew up it's 18 the legal drinking is 18 right and so like you can go out and party and get fucked up at 18 and just have a wild time and you know and so from a very young age drinking culture in alberta where where i grew up is just it's very prominent right it's what you do and so it's part of the social agreement and that is just something that i've never questioned so being free of it is is just a, it's a wonderful gift, honestly.
0: Yeah, truly, truly. Think of how many social agreements are binding. And then I think one of the big fears right now is you kind of nailed it, is anarchy is a complete disregard of all social agreements. It's the, you can't do that, but everybody's doing it. You know, driving on the wrong side of the road, cr- going through red lights, not paying traffic tickets, taking 40 things of toilet paper, all of these kind of silent things that we go, oh, we just do that. But you're right, they're the the iceberg down. Uh, Let's let's switch a bit if we can to purpose. You and I talk to a lot of nice guys in quotes or recovering nice guys uh, in quotes. And one of the big challenges I have for all nice guys is to find a deeper purpose something that they will get validation from so they don't have to get it from mostly women. When you talk to guys, especially nice guys, who are just starting the purpose journey, or even for people who are on this and going like, I just don't know what I want to do. How do you start to guide people, especially men, around purpose?
1: Mm. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, purpose is one of those sort of analogous things right it's like if you ask 100 people what purpose is you'll get 100 different responses right there's it's purpose is a very self-defined term and so usually usually what i do in terms of st- starting with working with individuals around purpose especially especially the nice guys is is to have them define what purpose actually looks like you know what 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 does purpose actually mean to you who have you seen in your life that has had purpose uh, because for for a lot of us, we're actually not able to identify people. You know, I think about the family system that I grew up in and, and that's where we get a lot of our information from. I think about the family system that I grew up in and, and I had four parents. And when I really look at the, at their purpose, none of them were really living the purpose that they wanted. Uh, and I think that's the case for most people, right? If, if you grew up in a home environment where you had a parent that was actually living their purpose, it's, that's more rare, so one of the things that I would say is, is slow down and start to define what your version of purpose looks like. What what do you want to have in it? Who's involved in it? Who are you impacting? And start to ask some of these value-based questions about what you want to create in the world and and how you actually want to show up. The The second thing is that I always say that the purpose resides at the intersection of producing results that matter to us and providing gifts that fuel us. So we have to start to tune into, you know, what what are the gifts that reside within us? And a gift is very different from a talent. You might be innately talented at something, right? Like I have a degree in music and I was an opera singer for a while. I'm a talented singer, but it's not my gift, right? That's not my gift at all. I also don't derive a lot of purpose from being able to sing. What I do derive an immense amount of purpose from is the work that I do today. And my gift, which has revealed itself, is actually in facilitating transformation, actually facilitating shadow work with Mm -hmm. individuals. But it took me a long time to do that, right? So patience, right? Purpose requires patience. If, If you are pressuring yourself to have to find purpose tomorrow or within a week, it's going to be very challenging, right? The, most of the people that I see living extraordinarily purpose-fueled lives have failed their way there, right? They have failed their way to purpose. They have tried over and over again to, uh, it's almost like putting the bumpers up on the, on the bowling alley, right? Like you, you put the bumpers up and you bounce the ball off a bunch of times and you find your way to center you have to be willing to fail. And for, I think for most nice guys, they're not willing to fail they need to be perfect right out the gates and that's the same for for nice women right there's there's a big there's a big group of women out there that want to be really nice and get it right and all those types of pieces and when we do that we're aiming for perfection and not purpose and and purpose doesn't reside in the realm of perfection that's it's not interested in that right so we have to be willing to fail and let that failure actually inform the next step towards purpose i know it sounds daunting. I know it can sound like, why would I want to just put myself in situations where I know I'm going to fail? But I, I guarantee you, like that is part of the path. And it's, it's what's gotten me to where I am today. And all of the men and women that I've worked with over the years that, that are purpose-driven, in some way, they have failed their way there. And it's a humbling experience. Mm, beautiful.
0: Uh, just to share, Connor and I met, we're like about two and a half years ago in a, a cafe in, in Manhattan, maybe three years ago. And I was trying to pick your brain on like, what do I do with myself? I have all of these ideas. And, and you specifically said, you've got to pick one and you've got to go all in on it. And I was like, okay. That afternoon, I changed my Instagram. I was like, I'm a divorce coach. I'm just going to yeah. work with people getting divorced. And I went to a workshop like three weeks later and was telling everybody, I'm a divorce coach. And every time I did that, I got a little tummy ache huh. Like, eh, eh. And, and came home and was like, you know what? I want to work with men. And we'll throw in there that it was the scariest proposition. And I think there's, there's usually something around that with purpose. It's the, I would, but thing. Like there's no money in this. No one wants to be a men's coach. Why the hell would I want to work with a bunch of dudes all day? Oh, it's the most fulfilling thing I could find. My voice came from it. It works. I'm great at it. It's service oriented. Is it challenging? Sure. So I'd say to add into that too, ask yourselves folks like who are grappling with this question, what is the, yeah, but not that. It's like the thing that's so often, yeah, but not that, but it's that.
1: Can I, Can I add yeah. one thing?: Sure I one of the things that I tell almost all my clients in this is what feels the most right right now, mm. What feels the most right right now, and then execute the shit out of that, right? Yeah. Execute absolutely one hundred percent towards that, and that will inform your that will inform where you move next, right? So like I started off man Talks doing speaker series. And that was what I knew in that moment was the most right in that moment. That decision to go all in on that informed everything else that happened. And we don't even do those speaker series events anymore, right? right. So, but, but the business has grown exponentially from, from, that, from that birthplace. And so just focus in on, on going all in on what, you can, on what is the most right right now. Did your podcast come out of the speaker series? or did you have that first so the, i did not i did not have the podcast first in fact i started the podcast this is a little bit of funny story I'll, I'll tell this really quickly so a guy came to one of the man talks events and he was this executive for a marketing company here in vancouver and uh he asked me to go f- grab a coffee and we chatted and he was like i love what you're doing i want to support and uh he's like i have some ways that i think would help you and i was like okay And he said, I I think you should start a podcast and I think I should, I should be your co-host. <laughs> and so this is this is my buddy Roger, who actually started the podcast with me, and admittedly, wait for it, I had never listened to a podcast before in my life when I started the podcast. <laughs> um, I had no interest in interviewing, I had no interest in doing the podcast i didn 't even know how to download a podcast like I just had zero knowledge about it, but this guy who i 'd built a little bit of a relationship with he was just so adamant on it, and he was so passionate about it, and I was like, well, like." He seems to know. And so let's do this. And, uh, and so like he's no longer with the organization. And we, we parted ways. He actually, here's a, one more, two more funny things. One, he actually runs a podcast development company now. So out of our work together, he found his purpose. Amazing. Two, I have like well over a million downloads now. Like we, I think we're yeah. close to like a million and a half downloads on the podcast. How and many episodes so, have you done? I think like 300 almost. Wow. Yeah, that's, this is how, just so you guys know, I met Connor
0: Cause he interviewed me for his podcast. So for those thinking about purpose too, I would love the, do you know the invisible step theory? Never heard about that. Yeah. It's like you, you, everyone wants to get the next step, but you, the next step isn't the step. There's this invisible step that you're going to take. Connor's going to start a speaker series, which is, that's the step that leads to the podcast. The podcast leads to this whole incredible organization, which leads you to getting grown men to sit on the floor and cry their eyes out and work through their shit in front of a group of other men and make fucking magic, which I've watched countless times. So I hope we just nailed. Any, any questions on purpose? No? Good. All right, moving on. Here we go, brother. <laughs> <laughs> well done. I, I did promise two uh, guests or two listeners, two Instagram people that I would, I would ask you these very specific questions. Folks, I know we're switching gears quick here, but we're talking relationship, Connor. How do you recommend someone who's eager for love, stay in like the slow, like it's okay. We don't have to dive all the way into it. Kind of vulnerable, explorative state when they're starting a relationship. This could be either a man or a woman.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think I would say get to know your relationship with needing to go quickly, right?
0: Say more about that. Wait a minute. minute. You just dropped like People are furiously taking notes right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get get to know your relationship with needing to go quickly. I, for from me, what I've noticed is that anytime we have a need, you know, not not a need of like this, this keeps me, this keeps me safe, but like an almost like a a neediness quality to it. It's trying to protect us from something, uh, and trying to protect a part of us that needs healing. Trying to protect a part of us that doesn't want to be seen, right? And so. Just notice that necessity for wanting to go quickly. What does it say about you, right? Maybe for you, by going quickly, there's a part of you that thinks you'll be able to lock them in. Or maybe you've bought into some Disney version of love that tells you that you need to fall in love within the first couple of dates, right? And it needs to be this magical freaking carpet ride garbage. Um, <laughs> and and like, that's not realistic for most, for most relationships, right? And so get connected to that secondly i would say what does that need to move quickly in a relationship actually say about you right mm-hmm. what's what's your relationship with needing to move quickly in all the rest of your all the rest of your life i think one of the things that i've i've learned is like i don't really like the saying but i'll throw it out there anyway how we do one thing is how we do it, all things yeah and while i think that that's not always the case i think sometimes in dating especially with this it's sometimes indicative of our inability to slow down. Mm -hmm. So what's your relationship to actually slowing down? Are you scared of being used? Are you scared of right? Like get in touch with some of the fear or the anxiety that you have. Are you scared of being judged? Are you scared of someone not committing to you? Are you scared of being not enough? I think that's one of the biggest things that I've seen with people that want to move very quickly in a relationship. They're terrified that the other person will find out something about them or learn something about them or that they're not going to be good enough. And so I need to lock this person down immediately. So enjoy Uh, One of the things that stuck with me about what my wife Vienna said, uh, we were doing a workshop one day and someone asked a very similar question and she probably answered like way, way better than I just did. But all she said was uh, find the victory in the journey, right? Mm. Find the victory in going slow. How can you learn, grow and expand by moving in that space slowly? And the, the last thing that I'll say, I promise is, learn from the wisdom of your own insecurity because there's an insecurity that's driving your need to wanna go quickly mm. and and that insecurity needs to be looked at it needs to be healed it needs to be understood and you need to sit with that part of yourself right if you think about your insecurity as like little kids all vying for your attention those things need to be looked at spoken to integrated and healed otherwise they're going to keep showing up and wreaking havoc on our relationships
0: for people that don't really understand what you mean by sit with, be with, dialogue with, can you give just some real world, like, okay, uh, bro, I'm super insecure. What do, I, what do I'm sitting with it. What does this mean?
1: Yeah. So first off, identify the insecurity, right? That's, okay, that's number one. Name it. Name the insecurity. Second thing, try and trace the origin story. And you can literally write down the origin story of my insecurity is... It's a really, really great prompt, or the, in, the origin story of this insecurity is. And then secondly, ask yourself the question, what is this insecurity trying to teach me? Mm. Right? If there was a lesson, if this insecurity was a teacher, what lesson would this insecurity be trying to teach And someone said, invite that baby to dinner. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Invite that little insecurity baby to dinner. Right. So that's, that's what it looks like to sit with it. You, you literally allow the insecurity to inform what's happening. Right. So if you feel insecure about somebody leaving you, right, that's, that could be a good example of like somebody leaving you in a relationship. What is that insecurity trying to teach you? What probably is trying to teach you that you are lacking self-worth. And that you're not valuing what you bring to in the relationship. And so you're over, you're over indexing the other person. You're creating a one up, one down position in the relationship. And that's what a lot of people do, right? It's like, I need you to love me. I need you to move really quick in this relationship so that it reinforces that I'm good enough, that I'm good enough to be here. And we all have these like weird indicators of, of what puts us on equal playing footing in relationships.
0: I love it. Thank you. That was huge, huge. Take a breath. I, know I got another good one for you. So this was written by a, by a man, but we can use it as male or female. In these times, how do you keep the spark going in a relationship with someone you're not living with? So someone there's now you're distanced or you could be in a different city. Like what does this poor guy do to keep this woman
1: interested in him? Yeah. So j- is it just sexually or is it, is it just like it, within the relationship?
0: Let's say both.
1: Okay. So I think, I think overall deploy a bit of spontaneity. I think that is going to be very, very key, right? Because we can get into these routines of like, Oh, I'll text you before bed, or, Oh, you know, I'll, like we, we talk every night on FaceTime and that can just get monotonous and boring. Um, so so <laughs> execute, execute with a bit of spontaneity, right? Allow yourself to send a random text message, uh, send some random flowers, right? Keep your partner on their toes, not knowing what to expect. That's, it's such a beautiful, beautiful gift. And get to know how they want to be loved. Right. I think if you can inquire with like what what makes you feel the most loved? Every every single person should ask their partner that. What makes you feel the most loved? Right. And then start to implement a little bit of that in the relationship. I think sexually, probably you can you can play around with, you know, whatever you're comfortable with. You could get into, you know, you can send photos and videos and stuff like that. You can do some you know, video, sex, sex chats, but you can also get a little bit more exploratory with it, right? You can uh, create an experience where you, you know, how vulgar can I get on your show? Dude, it's me. What do you think? Yeah. okay. So, (laughs) so for for example, like you could create, So I'm going to, I'm going to go sexually here in just a second, but like you could create a date night, right. And, and sit down and have a date and you plan the whole date. Maybe you watch a movie together. Maybe you play a game together, right? There's a multitude of things that you can do. I think sexually is where we normally get stuck when we're not together. So you can do things like lead each other through a sexual fantasy. So what that can look like is you say, okay, babe, maybe you plan it out. Maybe you say like, okay, seven o'clock and I call you get ready. We're going to have some fun. We're going to play. Okay, great. So then you call and you guide your partner through a very specific experience. So it's like, okay, go into the room, take your clothes off, get into bed. And then you walk your partner through a whole sexual fantasies, right? So put your earphones in, turn all the distractions off, turn the lights off, light some candles, and you help them set the scene. And then you guide them through a sexual fantasy that you know they'll enjoy. And you... You know, you tell them to get off, you tell them to masturbate and you guide them through that whole sexual experience. So that can be something really fun yeah. and exciting to, to do with a partner uh, simply because, especially if you're stuck apart, it's a great way to engage with another and have your partner feel sexually prioritized. Beautiful.
0: Dare I say... Fuck them with words. Is that what Yeah, you're fuck
1: referring? them yeah. with words. Amazing, amazing. Exactly, amazing. exactly okay. what I'm saying, yeah.
0: Get that t-shirt out pretty soon.
1: Yeah. That, bro. Uh,
0: last question isn't from the listeners, but I'm going to ask them all. I'm going I'm to personally ask it on behalf of everybody that knows you and knows that you're married to the top marriage and family therapist in New York City. So, <laughs> groundwork. You're a black belt. She's a black belt. When you guys argue... I just have this idea that it's one of two things. It's either like you're throwing feces at each other or it's like the most beautifully eloquent, like my family history from back now is being triggered and this beautiful. And you're like, Oh, I'm holding you in this way.
1: How the fuck do you guys fight? Tell me about- <laughs> <laughs> this is so good. Uh, yeah, I mean, yes, we definitely still argue. Sometimes it's kind of a bit of a both. There's never any feces involved, thankfully, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but. <laughs> You know, so, sometimes it's very eloquent and it's very understanding. And it's it's almost like what you would expect two therapists to be doing, right? It's mm-hmm. like, look, I think that this is, comes from this part of your family system and are you projecting onto me? And And we can actually move through very complicated issues like very quickly. Other times, depending on the, the wound that's been triggered within us, someone might get reactive. And, and for us, the breakdown normally happens just like every single couple at the end of the day, after a very long and stressful day, when we have been overtaxed in our decision making, when we have been overtaxed in uh, you know, tasks and to-dos and all that kind of crap. So I would say probably like 80 to 90% of the time, we have very grounded conflict right? And so it's not yelling. It's not arguing. It's like, tell me how you're feeling. Tell me what's going on inside of you. What's the story that you're telling yourself about what I did, etc. The other like 10 to 20% of the time, I mean, it's heated, right? It's heated. We're both stubborn as fuck. I, I might be one of the most stubborn people that you have ever met in your life ever guaranteed. And my wife is an so I'm the oldest of five and I'm used to having my way and she is an only child, and she's used to having her way. And so, <laughs> so every once in a while, we will just lock horns like nobody's business. But it's it's all it's all respectful. It's it you know it's never like crossing a line into throwing things or you know, becoming verbally abusive or anything like that. But it, you know, some everyone gets super fired and it's just like, you know what, I don't wanna fucking do this right now. Like I, I'm i gonna, I'm like, I'm leaving the house. like, I'm going to the bedroom or you know, something like that. So we definitely still get fiery, but it comes from that stubborn, stubborn, stubborn part.
0: I love it. Thanks for sharing that, man. Yeah, man. If, if you could give everybody listening and especially people who are stuck at home with a partner that may be dealing with some conflict, What's the one piece of advice you would recommend, especially for men, to keep
1: the conflict respectful and keep mm. it safe? Yeah, I think I mean read non. What is it? Um, non Non-violent. Nonviolent communication. It's an yeah. amazing, amazing book that will give you more insight than I can give you in a soundbite here. But that's that's definitely a great place to start. But in terms of what I would recommend, is I have I can I give you three parts to it? Please. Okay, so first is ownership. You need to own your part in it, right? And that might mean owning your emotional state. What I see a lot of guys do is they try and resolve conflict when they're at like an eight on the anger scale, and then they wonder why their partner's like, "Why well, I don't accept your apology? Because <laughs> you seem pretty pissed off, and you're saying I'm sorry." <laughs> it's like, yeah, own your don't don't just own your shit, right? Don't just own your words or your actions. Own your emotional state. Right, so make sure you're coming from a place of grounded calm and peace. That might mean that you need to, you know, just pause for a few before you can come back in and engage in the conversation and and resolve the conflict. The second thing is, yeah, stay grounded, practice appreciation. Mm -hmm. All right, so outside of the conflict. One of the things that we don't do is share appreciation for our partner in how we engage in conflict. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but you want to start to point out how your partner and how you show up in conflict in a healthy, positive way. We normally obsess and fixate on how we show up negatively in conflict, and we want to start to rewire that. Otherwise, we're just going to fixate on what's not working. I think the last piece is going to be seek understanding. If you can do none of those other things and you just seek to understand what's happening in your partner's experience, how they're feeling, why they're upset, and that might that might sound like, you know, tell me the story that you're that you're telling yourself about what I said or what I did or what happened at work or what happened with your family. That's a really powerful question and and just seek to understand why he or she feels so threatened. Mm. And and that that's such a great question, right? Like why why you feel threatened? Or what's causing you to be so so reactive right now? What do you need me to know? I think a really really powerful question that I give most men to ask in those moments is tell me what you think I have not understood yet. Tell me what you think I have not understood yet. Mm. Because so often I saw like literally just saw most of the women be like, yes, <laughs> <That> was, <laughs> but, uh, but for what so often what we miss out on is that when we're in conflict, men, we like speak and listen for what the point is, right? So right. if we think that we've got the point from you, <laughs> we're like, my job here is done. Um, and we we can miss out on a whole bunch of context for what's going on in our partner's experience. So sometimes just asking the question, tell me what you think I haven't understood yet can reveal what our partner is experiencing and help us move closer to resolution.
0: Beautiful. Think of how much conflict there's going to be right now due to people being in stressful situations. And if just given the tools you gave, how much challenge you're going to save, how much heartache you're going to save, how much stress, how many fights kids aren't going to have to watch. So I really appreciate that. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah. and, and, And don't fight in bed. Amen. Get get out of bed. Don't fight in bed. Like set the one rule. It's cardinal rule. Don't fight where you fuck. (laughs) T-shirt number two coming up. That might be my
0: t-shirt. I don't know. (laughs) Awesome. Let me ask you a personal question. This audience and everybody who listens to this, uh, this number one podcast is quite elite. And so we have a lot of clout, we have a lot of network, we have a lot of people in our lives. And as a way of appreciating you, if there's something that someone on this call or listening to this podcast could help you with or give to you, what would it be?
1: I think probably the biggest resource that I could use right now is, I mean, just like full transparency, probably like building a sales funnel. (laughs) <laughs> like, if
0: someone knows how to build a sales funnel. I don't know.
1: Should, should I just be like stupidly practical? I mean, I'll give some context, right? It's like we've we've put out a couple courses and they've done incredibly well and we've had an immense amount of success, but I, I don't know the first thing about building any sort of funnel. And so we've always just winged it and it's been great. And so I don't even know if we need support, but it's the first thing that popped into my head. So that was
0: perfect. This there is, we go. Someone else said like, don't use single use plastics. Uh yeah. someone said like adopt a puppy and you need a sales funnel.
1: This is Oh, I took it very personally. Like this is the selfish part of me that was no, no, no.
0: trust me. If it was reversed, I'd be like, send me bacon. What do you guys Are you kidding me? Send me bacon.
1: <laughs> I mean, I do I do like bacon. I I feel like some back bacon would be pretty good.
0: You're going to get inundated with like sales info and and pork products. And I'm going to be so damn happy. Uh, <laughs> Connor, how do people get more of you in their lives? How do they find you? How do they find uh, the programs you're running with V, the courses, et cetera? How do we get more Connor Beaton?
1: Yeah. So easiest way is on Instagram. It's just at Mantalks, M-A-N-T-A-L-K-S. Uh, and then my website is connorbeaton.com. Those are probably the two big access points. And then, you know, the Man Talks podcast. Uh, You should definitely go listen to Traver's episodes. He's got a couple of them and he crushes it every single time.
0: Thank you, thank you. And we, we have one that we just recorded together, kind of freestyle, yeah? Yeah. Coming out pretty
1: soon. Yeah, man.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, for your generosity, for your expertise, and truly just for your presence in my life as a man, as a mentor, as an inspiration, as someone I can call and go... I don't know what the fuck's going on. I need help or send memes too. So I love you. Thank you for joining us on behalf of everybody here. Thank you for joining us. And for you all, thank you for coming, giving your time, watching us kind of fuck through this. And I hope you learned something. Uh, if you want to get your hands on my book, my goal is still to sell 10,000 10, of them this year to get them into men's hands. And that's manuncivilized.com forward slash the book. If you're listening to this on itunes please give us a rating and also go to cured nutrition check those guys out amazing products and stay safe stay stay open take care of each other and please stay healthy thank you Mwah. love you brother see you see you connor ciao this is Trevor Bohm signing off on another episode of the uncivilized podcast if you enjoyed this please give us a share give us a five-star rating on itunes and if you're interested in getting a hold of my book Man Uncivilized, whether you're a man or a woman, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the book and get reading.